says in verse 9, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. And Father, we humbly pause and just ask, would you help us now by your Holy Spirit? Lord, we know this isn't just an intellectual exercise. We're not in a college lecture hall. Lord, we want to hear the voice of God. Lord, as an act of worship, as we sang and prayed, we want to submit our heart and soul and mind and spirit in such a way that you would be able to speak to us. God, we need to hear a word from you. And we believe you speak through your word. So would you prepare us accordingly and speak to us now in a personal and direct way by your spirit's ministry. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. You know, so often the purposes and plans of God tend to unfold a lot of time just through our interactions with people, whether that's through our relationships with each other as fellow Christians or in our family life, in our work experiences, out in the world, interacting with other people in society. God is often, I find, doing supernatural things in just a very natural way. In fact, I've often said before, I didn't come up with the phrase, but it sticks with me, that oftentimes God works in a very supernaturally natural way. Uh, And I think in this text this morning, we see that very reality. As Paul's just talking about life events and relationships that mattered a lot to him and his interactions with people, at the same time, we see that God was orchestrating his plans and purposes through everyday and ordinary events. And we see that in this closing section. Let me just, by way of background, remind us where Paul is at as we close out this letter this morning. Remember, Paul is in a Roman dungeon at this point in time. He's in his latter years in life and he's in a Roman dungeon awaiting trial by causing unrest through preaching the gospel of Christ. And because he caused unrest at times by preaching the gospel in a culture where there were many foreign gods, Paul finds himself once again in prison. And at this point, he's sitting in a Roman dungeon. Conditions are dark. They're cold, they're damp. This isn't a nice pristine cell with you know, Wi-Fi and TV and a weight room around the corner. He's in a cold, damp, dark Roman dungeon. Conditions are very unhygienic. It's, it's very miserable. It's smelly. And he sits there day after day as an older man sensing his upcoming trial is going to result this time in his execution and his death. In fact, remember, Paul had just said in the prior verses there in verse 6, my departure is at hand. He said the time of my departure is at hand. He sensed he was ready to depart from this world and enter into the presence of Jesus. He then said verse 7 and 8 prior to where we're at this morning, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he said, will give to me on that day, 
and not to me only, but also all who loved his appearing. So you can sense very clearly, as is often the case, Paul can sort of almost intuitively tell that his life is about to come to an end. And a lot of times when people's life is coming to a close, there is that sense that it almost seems God innately allows a person to just sense that their death is impending. And he realizes his time is short. For that reason, he writes this very, very personal letter, 2 Timothy, that we've looked at together, to Timothy, who is his protege, the one he mentored in the things of ministry, and who really Paul sort of turns things over to. And he closes now with some final instructions and updates to best prepare Timothy to move forward as Paul will depart and Timothy will continue to carry on in the next season. So look with me, verse 9. Here's his instruction to Timothy first. He says, verse 9, in light of these things, Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. He says, going on, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and departed for Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus, Titus to Dalmatia. And he says, only Luke, verse 11, is still with me. So as Paul now gives some instructions here, he, he, he kind of updates Timothy what's going on with some of the different missions and ministry partners that they shared and worked together with. Uh, and he updates Timothy as well regarding a request that he would like Timothy to oblige to as sort of Paul being his, again, the one who mentored him and the authority in his life. Paul's request is found there in verse 9. If you look at it, he says, Timothy, I'm asking, be diligent, make the best effort, he says, to come to me quickly. Again, Paul knows his time is short, so he's now asking Timothy, understanding a major transition is going to come with his death. I mean, Paul the Apostle, this giant of the Christian faith in the early church, is about to die and move on in the presence of the Lord. So this is going to bring a major shift uh, among the church as a whole. So he urges Timothy now to come to him soon, and he asks him to put in whatever effort it would take to leave his current situation and to come to be where Paul is at presently. He says, Timothy, I'm asking you as an older man to a younger man, would you please leave where you are, be diligent, whatever it takes, Leave where you are and please come here quickly to me as soon as possible to be with me. Again, likely, I believe, Paul just wants to spend these last days, he knows he's about to die, with Timothy. He probably wants to share uh, some important thoughts and some counsel and helpful instruction. Like a loving father who knows he's about to pass from this earth, he wants to just spend some time with his, his son in the faith, Timothy, and people that he loves, he wants around him so he can best equip him to run his race well. He knows, hey, I'm going to die, but Timothy, you have to live on. And though my life's coming to an end, you need to continue to live and run your race. And so he wants to just equip him and help him. And I think as you see this, it really shows the humanity of Paul, that he wasn't just a ministry machine. Paul was a man. And he loved people and he had relationships with people. So he asked now Timothy, this beloved son in his life and the faith, to be with him in the difficult hours of his life. And he's requesting, if you would, Timothy to just come spend his last days on earth together with him to provide some companionship and fellowship. And I look at this and I think how, how often this plays itself out. Many of us have walked this process before. Uh, that when people do come to a point in their life where, where death is becoming evident, that is what they long for. They just long for companionship. Nothing else really matters at that point. But what does matter is the people that matter in their life. 
And they just want to have those they love by their side and around them to enjoy, you know, those last days of companionship, to share those special moments. And typically those occasions are some of the most special times when some of the most wonderful things are said and shared. And I think that's really what Paul's longing for at this point. Now, take notice in these instructions as well. Paul in verse 10 and 11 makes mention how a few people the Lord allowed to be removed from his life. Now, this was part of the reason Paul wanted Timothy to come as well. But what Paul references now in verse 10 is how the Lord sovereignly allowed for a few people to be removed from his life that were once in a relationship with him. He says, Timothy, verse 10, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's departed for Thessalonica. And he says also, Crescens, he's gone to Galatia and Titus, He's now gone to Dalmatia. So notice, Paul's life experiences involved the departure of a few friends and people that he had fellowship with, those who were helpers in ministry. These people have now departed and the Lord has allowed them to be removed from Paul's life at a season. Some of them, we can tell from the beginning of verse 10, like Demas, some people the Lord allowed to be removed from Paul's life in connection to unhealthy reasons. Because Paul says in verse 10, this is an unhealthy reason for somebody to depart and be removed from your life. He says, Demas has forsaken me. He abandoned me, having loved this present world, and therefore he departed. Now we know Demas, this man Paul references here, was once faithfully serving together with Paul the Apostle in his missions and ministry team. Uh, we know from other letters in the New Testament, Colossians and Philemon, there Paul mentions Demas as a fellow laborer. So this is somebody at one time that was side by side with Paul. He was laboring in the work. He was an active part of the missions team, preaching the gospel, planting churches. Yet apparently at some point, Demas starts getting distracted. He begins to some degree cooling off spiritually and he gets entangled with worldly affairs and he starts to find more pleasure and enjoyment in what the world offered than what he was experiencing in serving the Lord and dedicating his life to Christian service. Paul says he has forsaken me and departed. The reason Paul clearly emphasizes, he says it was simply because he loved this present world. So something happened there where Demas's heart was once devoted to the Lord and to the kingdom of God and to ministry and to service. And yet something began to happen when his heart began to cool and he began to love the things of the world and love what was temporal and material and all these things in the temporal world and the deceitfulness of riches sort of stole away his heart in such a way where he began to pull back and then ultimately he began to stop caring as much about what was spiritual and eternal and he departed from Paul and Paul says he, he left me in the lurch he just forsook me and he, he went chasing after the world in a sense you could say Demas sort of in his own way kind of departed to chase after the ancient version of kind of the American dream uh, and so he's I just I, you know, I, I've got a, a dream and he kind of just chased after the whole American dream concept in his own ancient culture and he left the work of the Lord. He abandoned Paul and the ministry team. Demas was a man who started well, but didn't finish well. He started faithful to the things of the kingdom of God, but he finished poorly. He turned away from his prior commitments of serving the Lord and doing ministry. And Paul says what led to that process 
was he found himself in love with this keyword present world. And I think Paul says that in connection to a few verses ago where Paul just said there in verse 8, those who love the Lord's appearing. He says, rather than loving the eternal and the kingdom of God and the rewards of receiving reward from Jesus for serving, he loved the present world instead. He fell in love with the world and the things of the world and that kind of caused him to steer away from serving the Lord. Perhaps Paul was thinking of this maybe even when he wrote his first letter to Timothy because there in 1 Timothy 6, listen to what Paul says, 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and the many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some having strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So the Bible gives this strong warning. Paul saw it happen many times. He said people who they become enamored with the temporal and the financial and prosperity and materialism. He says, and they desire to be rich. And the desire and the longing to be rich and to have more and to increase their you know, level of experience temporally, materially, all those things. He says it becomes a snare and a temptation. And people pierce themselves through with many regrets and sorrows later on because they realize at the end of their life, why did I chase all that and forfeit what I could have done serving the Lord and being more faithful to follow Jesus? And, you know, and, and here I was making more money rather than you know, really becoming more healthy and, and wealthy spiritually. And, and benefiting myself or giving myself to the kingdom of God. And, and Paul says very clearly, it's the love of money. Notice, people always misquote that. Oh, money's the root of all kinds of evil. Read your Bible. Money's a wonderful thing. Money's a wonderful tool. It's a great servant. It's just a horrible master. Money's a wonderful, you can do wonderful things with money. You can bless people and help people and, and, and invest in the kingdom of God. Money's a powerful tool. It's the love of money, the Bible says, that becomes the root then of all kinds of evil from which he says at times people stray and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So Demas was a man like this. He became enamored with this present world and all its goodies and his love for the Lord and the things of serving the kingdom of God began to fade. No doubt that's why 1 John 2.15 warns us all saying, do not love the world or the things of the world. Demas is a good reminder for all of us, especially as, let me say, American Christians. I love this nation. I'm glad to live in this nation. I'm thankful for that. But it certainly is an increased temptation for all of us. And DNS is a warning of our own capacity to fall in love with this world, this present world. And all its opportunities and all it can provide to us and to forsake our higher calling to really wholeheartedly serve the Lord. And to let our life count for the kingdom of God. He shows a faithful believer can depart from pursuing God to go pursuing other things that are worldly and temporal. And some sadly will do that. They'll start well, but they'll finish poorly. And we may find times like Paul 
when those maybe who once served by our side, listen, I, I fully can relate to that. You know, uh, 20 you know, some years of ministry as a senior pastor, I can fully relate to that reality where at times you see people and they're laboring and serving the Lord and they are just living for the kingdom of God and then all of a sudden just gradually their heart cools and they become distracted. And, uh, you know, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be responsible. It's not what I'm saying. We should be responsible, hard workers, pay our bills, but we need to keep priorities and balances and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added to us in God's balance and timing. Notice, not all departures, however, Paul goes on to say, verse 10, not all departures are bad things. Some people leave for proper reasons and healthy reasons. Look what Paul mentions at the end of verse 10. These weren't bad things. He says also, just to be aware, Timothy says, Crescens, he's gone to Galatia and Titus, Paul's other protege in the ministry, Paul says he's gone to Dalmatia. So these two men, it seems, were kind of just reassigned by the Lord to new posts uh, for a next season in their life. It seems they may have actually even been dispatched by Paul for ministry purposes. Perhaps there was some need or situation that required them to go to these other locations. And at times Paul would send out fellow workers to go to other churches and areas to do ministry. Uh, and sometimes in life and ministry, circumstances will necessitate that the Lord move his servants to new locations, that the Lord will choose to reassign one of his workers or move us on or move someone else on. And this is just a part of the ways at times God uh, determines at times to reassign for his purposes in alignment with his will and plan. Uh, and look, even when nothing has gone wrong, the Lord may at times allow people to be removed from your life from time to time. There are going to be times when God may sovereignly allow you to go through the letdown experience of someone like a Demas being removed from your life in an unhealthy way. And that's hurtful and there's letdown in connection to that. But then there are going to be other times that it is just a part of life that the Lord will let people be removed from your life, removed from a relationship you once had with them and nothing went wrong. It's not as if something wrong has happened. It's just that perhaps it may be a normal, acceptable reason that they need to go elsewhere for a purpose. They may need to depart to follow God's will for the next season of their life. The Lord may be just moving them on and it may make us sorrowful. I know it's hard to go through departures when God removes people, but we need to trust God and never try and hold people back. If God's moving them on or sending them away, we need it with an open hand to let the Lord direct his servants where he would choose. Now notice as well, verse 11, the one person the Lord allowed to remain in Paul's life. He let a few be removed, but he lets one person remain. Paul mentions verse 11, only Luke at this point, he says, Timothy is still with me. Now likely that's who Paul needed most at this stage and season of his life. Because Colossians chapter 4 tells us that Luke was the beloved physician. In other words, we know from the Bible that Luke was Dr. Luke. He was a medical doctor. And we know from the scriptures that Luke, the doctor, traveled around with Paul on his missionary journeys. And he served with Paul and his mission teams as sort of like their personal physician. And as they went around, no doubt he not only helped provide maybe medical care to people they ministered to, but he probably no doubt ministered, uh, you know, physician-type ministry to Paul and to his teams. A guy like Paul needed that kind of ministry partner with him because Paul would minister in some harsh climates. We know biblically that Paul had some health issues himself. 
Uh, at times, the Bible is very clear in the book of Acts that Paul and his team would preach the gospel and then they get all beaten up and abused and stoned with rocks. And so to have a doctor on hand in your team was probably really helpful. I can picture Dr. Luke at time kind of bandaging Paul back up and like, Paul, you might want to slow down a little bit. I mean, that last stoning, we're just, just maybe a week off or something. Or I mean, just maybe why don't we just intercede in prayer for a week so some of the stitches can heal. You know, I can just picture him just you know talking through Paul with those kind of things. You know, when we were a pastor in the church back in York, Pennsylvania, uh, there was a, a guy in our fellowship. He was from the Dominican Republic and he was a physician, Dr. Earl. Uh, and he kind of became like that in my life, just kind of a, a friend, a medical, whenever I would go on trips, I always tried to have him along with me. Uh, I don't like to travel. I'm a homebody. And typically, whenever I go on a missions trip, if even if I'm leading, I have the worst experience out of everybody. And I'm supposed to be encouraging everybody and leading everybody. And usually by day one, I'm in my bed crying at night going, God, I want to go home. Help me go through the rest of the week, you know. And I remember occasions where, or, you know, I, I remember one particular trip I was on with Earl and I started, you know, vomiting and, and throwing up or whatever. And he was, you know, kind of helping, trying to nurse me back to health because it was only like literally the second day we just got on the trip. And so he was trying to, you know, kind of help me recuperate or whatever. And then I remember another occasion when he was with me and I was at night trying to put on 100% deep bug spray because you had to sleep in a mosquito net and the conditions were in and all that kind of stuff. And all the power shut down because we were in a very remote kind of third world area. All the power shut down. And so I'm trying to put bug spray on in the pitch black, dark. And I thought I was spraying it on my arm and the nozzle was turned and I maced myself with the bug spray. It went right in my mouth and on my tongue. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, Earl, Earl, I just maced myself with 100% deep bug spray. It went in my mouth and everything. You'll be all right, Tony. Don't be a baby. Go, go, go to bed you know I just so sometimes he helped me other times like stop being a baby just carry on you're not going to die you know uh, so it must have been a really unique thing for Paul to have Dr. Luke with him and I think to myself what an interesting thing because who better to have with Paul at this stage of his life than Dr. Luke Paul's older he's in a very unhygienic place in this prison he's got health issues and there he is in his latter days and God knew exactly who to have by his side at the time and stage of life when he needed him. This person went here, that person went well, went there and, and God let one person remain and God selected by his sovereignty to let the one person remain to be Dr. Luke because that's probably who Paul needed the most at this particular stage of his life. And what a great reminder for us the Lord knows, listen, the Lord knows exactly who we need in our life at each stage and each season. And he will be faithful to make sure that those individuals are there even when others are not. Even if it's down to just one, he knows who we need to remain in our life by our side for each season and stage we go through. And what a beautiful thing too to see Dr. Luke using his practical and professional gifts and abilities as a medical doctor for the Lord's work in the kingdom of God. In essence, he was the first medical missionary. He was using his giftings and his profession and his work skills to serve the kingdom of God. And what a wonderful thing because the Lord, I tell you, will use whatever gifting you offer to him. Whatever your profession is, whatever your trade or skill set is, God can take it and use it for the kingdom of God if you offer it to him. Paul goes on the end of verse 11 saying, also get Mark and bring him with you. <clears throat> for he is useful to me 
for ministry. So Paul requests Timothy, when you come, pick up Mark and bring him with you because this guy is really useful and helpful for ministry. Now, this reveals something. It testifies God's ability to change people over time. And hear me out in regards to this. This shows God's ability to change people over time. That God changed Mark because Mark grew and matured. And God changed Paul the apostle in his heart attitude towards Mark. And let me explain what I mean by that. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are launching out on their missionary journey. And it says that they take John Mark, this guy, Barnabas and Paul, they go out, they take Mark with them, probably a younger guy, it says as an assistant as they go out on their ministry trip. Well, as they begin ministering, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that things got tough and then at some point Mark abandoned them, didn't continue with work. In other words, Mark, when times got tough, he quit and he went home. Now, when they were ready to go out again on another trip later on, Acts chapter 15, as they're ready to head out on another missions trip, it says Barnabas wanted to take Mark along with them again a second time. And Paul said, no way, Jose. We took that young boy last time. He flaked out. He gave up. He got scared. He quit. He went home right in the middle of the work. He couldn't handle it. And and we need to accomplish. And and he's just going to get in the... And so Paul was very adamant we're not taking him again. He's just going to hold back the work. He'll be a hindrance. And Paul was focused on the bigger picture. Barnabas was more of a discipler and a one-on-one, you know, cared about people. And so Barnabas was more compassionate. No, let's get... And it says the contention became so sharp that Paul and Barnabas parted company. And they no longer ministered together anymore. God used it sovereignly. He says that Barnabas took Mark and he went and did some things. And Paul took Silas, his new ministry companion, and he went on continuing going forward in his missions work and calling. Now, fast forward many, many, many years later. And as we fast forward many years later, God has worked on all angles, growing and changing people. Because now Paul says of Mark, hey, get that guy Mark. He's really useful for ministry. Bring Mark along, which shows something of a reconciliation has happened. This shows us two things. First of all, Mark, who once made mistakes and proved to be a very unstable and a very unreliable person, Mark has grown apparently. Over time, God has changed him and helped him to become quite a solid and stable guy. Now Mark is a very fruitful, useful servant in ministry and a man who once proved himself unuseful, unprofitable, unreliable is now reliable, steady, useful, and fruitful because God changes people over time. And Mark grew and he matured and he progressed and he developed. And it's a reminder, God can change and develop people over time. And that should be a great encouragement this morning, a reminder for those who have failed. Life's not over. Well, you don't understand. Life's not over. Everybody fails. But failure doesn't mean life is over. God is in the renovation business. God is in the restoration business. And God is able to take even our failures and yet still work in our lives and make us successful and fruitful still in our futures if we fully submit it all over to him. And God can grow us and restore us and change us and God can rebuild and repair and make you useful and fruitful and successful once again. I encourage you, trust the Lord for that process in your life. He did it for Mark 
and he's not a respecter of persons. He'll do it for you too. He can rebuild and bless your future ahead. And it's a reminder as well with Paul's life. Paul teaches us by his words here that he was willing to be forgiving and gracious and see Mark's potential now. At one point, Paul said, no way am I taking Mark with me again. But now many years later, look what Paul does. He has a change of heart. God's grown and matured him. He's reestablished and reconciled relationship between Mark and Paul. And so now Paul wants him to come, which shows Paul didn't write him off forever after failure. For a season, Paul in his judgment said he's just not ready right now. He needs to grow. He needs to mature. Barnabas, I can't take him in the work we've been commissioned to do. If you want to take him and disciple him, great. And that seems what Barnabas did. Barnabas probably nursed him back to health in one-on-one ministry. But yet many years later, Paul's gracious and forgiving and he's open to giving him, listen, another chance. A second chance. Another opportunity. God's worked in his life and Paul didn't let his past get in the way. Paul looked at it and said, yes, he failed in the past, But God's worked in his life. God's changed him. God's rebuilt him and repaired him and restored him. And you know what? Now he's a useful helper. And so Paul was willing to set aside the past and embrace him back and give him another chance. And I think this is a good reminder for us by way of application. We need to be willing to give people second chances and be gracious with people. Maybe they've royally blown it. Maybe they've failed. Maybe they've really bottomed out. But listen, God can work in people's lives. And through their failures and their mistakes, God can rebuild people and restore them and renovate them. And we need to be open to the Lord doing that in people's lives and even be open to receiving them back and giving them another chance. And like Paul here saying, wow, the Lord's transformed his life and I'm willing to give him another shot. He says, get him. He's a useful minister now. Bring him here to me, Timothy. Verse 12, Paul says, in Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. Now, probably Tychicus is Paul's, I believe, replacement for Timothy who was pastoring there in Ephesus. As Paul's asking Timothy to come, he doesn't want the people Timothy's ministering to to suffer. So he probably took the letter, 2 Timothy, to Timothy, he was probably the courier, and he also said, bring this letter to Timothy, which would tell Timothy to come, and I believe possibly that he was sent there perhaps to fulfill the position of Timothy. And again, if God's going to move us on, he's always going to bring a replacement for that gap and vacancy that we may leave. And sometimes if God moves us on, there will be a gap and a vacancy. But I find whenever the Lord asks us to move on and there's going to be a gap, he will always faithfully raise up a replacement. And I think we need to trust the Lord to do that. The Lord's not going to let the people in Ephesus suffer as Timothy, their pastor, is pulled away. The Lord's going to raise up a replacement. And I believe that's who Paul's sending there for that very purpose. Verse 13, this is very practical. Paul says, and bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, Timothy. And also, he says, bring the books, especially, he says, the parchments. Now, here we see the incredible practicality of Paul the Apostle. I like places like this in the Bible. He says, Timothy, when you're coming here on the way, stop by Troas, and he says, pick up my cloak. My cloak. Uh, uh, Timothy, I would love to have that cloak right now. A cloak is that heavy wool garment they would wear as both a winter coat, and they'd also use it as a blanket as well to keep warm. So it was sort of the ancient version of kind of like a Snuggie, 
You know, you just put it on, you wore it as a coat, you used it as a blanket. It was multi-purpose to stay warm. And, and Paul says, man, it is cold here in this dungeon. Winter is coming and I want to be comfortable and stay as healthy as I can. Now, let me just say, you can't get more practical than that. Pick up my coat. Bring my favorite blanket. I mean, you want to talk about utter practicality. Can I just say this morning, let us not set aside being practical in a desire to want to be spiritual. And I think this is really important because sometimes we almost have this perception that in order to be spiritual, you can't be practical. And those who are really spiritual, I mean, they're just, they're just it's like some, and, and to be practical, just that's not spiritual. When I read the word of God and what I see is so often these things work hand in hand. It doesn't mean you can't be practical in your dealings, uh, that you can't be practical and down to earth. Let me just say, much of life is practical. It's every day. It's daily. It's mundane things. And the last I checked, God is the God of creation, which means he's involved in ordering the affairs and orchestrating everything that's happening on this earth. The grass growing, the crops being raised up. I mean, God's orchestrating everything. And so if God's involved in everything, let us not think how certain, certain things are sanctified and not sanctified. Well, that's God's involved in everyday affairs. His presence is involved in everything that's natural and practical. And because God's involved with everything, we don't have to set aside being just a practical thinking person to be a spiritual person. The two often time work hand in hand if you believe God's involved in everyday affairs then certainly it doesn't mean you can't be a practical person. And Paul also says to him there at the end of verse 13, Timothy, while you're getting my cloak, he says, do me a favor, pick up the books as well that I left there, and especially those parchments. I love this picture of Paul here. Notice he wants his personal reading materials. He wants to go over and, and read and, and further learn. Books is a term, papyri in the Greek, which speaks of records or writings. The word parchments should probably best be translated, some translations do, scrolls. That's probably a reference to Old Testament scrolls and the Old Testament scripture. So notice, what's important to Paul? What interests Paul in his downtime? He says, I want to catch up on my reading. Bring, bring, my, bring my parchments and my scrolls. Bring my Bible. I want to read the word of God. Can I say something? Was Paul preparing for sermons? No, he's in a dungeon and he's about to die. Paul wants to read his Bible for himself. Because to him, the word of God before anything else was what was the foremost foundation to his relationship with the Lord. And, and Paul's heart was, look, yes, this is the text I use to help people spiritually, but more than that, he says, this is the way God tells me things I need to know. God talks to me through his word. Get my Bible, Timothy. I'm about to meet the Lord. I want to know him better before I meet him. Timothy, I don't want to work on sermons here. It's too dark in the dungeon anyway. But I want to read my Bible. I want God to speak to me. And I love this picture of Paul the Apostle. It shows you why he was such a, 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 a giant of the faith. Because before he was a pastor, a minister, a servant of the Lord, he was just a Christian. He just loved Jesus. And he loved the Word of God. Look, I'm going to encourage you. Just love the Word of God. How much do you, do you love? If, if you were in a, what would be the one thing you would want if you were in a dungeon? I hope it would be your Bible. I hope it'd be, I can't live unless every day God speaks to me. I want to hear him talk to me through his word. 
that you would cherish and value the word of God as Paul is here. Just such a, a beautiful picture of Paul seen here in this text. Now again, in our last study, as we said, verse 14 to 18, we looked at it in depth last week. Paul shared that, shared that testimony of navigating his difficulties. You can listen to the recording if you weren't here for that. But look when they down in verse 19. Paul gives now kind of his closing greetings. He says, verse 19, greet Prisca, or also Priscilla, who he's referring to, and Aquila, and the household of Anisophorus. Now Priscilla and Aquila, remember, these were close friends of Paul, who Paul met because they worked the same trade vocationally as Paul. They were tent makers. And the book of Acts tells us that Paul worked with this couple in tent making as Paul would work to try and generate funds at times to support himself and his missions team. And likely, Paul probably led this couple to the Lord. They become close friends of him. And in the New Testament, we see this couple both serving the Lord and helping disciple young people. Paul also says there in verse 19, greet also the household of Anisophorus. And maybe that's where believers were meeting in his household for worship. Paul going on, verse 20, says Timothy, Erastus, he stayed in Corinth. Now, Erastus, we know from Romans chapter 16 in Paul's list of names there, that Erastus, it says, was the city treasurer. So Erastus was someone who held a, uh, a political position. He had a government job. He was the city treasurer, and we know that at times uh, he was there apparently with Paul when he wrote the, to the church in Rome. As he's writing a letter, Paul was with him. Now Paul updates that Erastus, he says, he remained or stayed behind in Corinth. In other words, something prohibited him from traveling onward. But again, I, I like this insight the word of God gives to us. Here's a man, take notice, he's got a government and a political position, and Paul's got a good and favorable relationship with him as a Christian. He knows this man who's a politician. He's the city treasurer. And I think how neat to see somebody who's in politics, holds a government position, yet Paul's maintaining a good relationship with him. It could be that maybe Erastus was a Christian and he was a believer and yet he was serving in politics as the city treasurer. And that's awesome because, you know, we need more people in city government and state government and national government that also love the Lord and are strong Christians and can navigate in that vocational world like we all do as carpenters and business people and in our spheres and, and that they can represent Christ there. And what a wonderful thing. So maybe he's a believer serving in that capacity or maybe as well, possible speculation, maybe he was an unbeliever, but Paul just maintained a good relationship with him. And I think if that's the case, that's really wise stewardship that Paul didn't look at political people as enemies. Paul looked at them as, you know, these are people in influence. We should respect their authority. And Paul just had a good relationship with people in government positions and people of influence. And Paul realized, hey, uh, God's ordained them. He's given them those positions. Uh, and maybe he was an unbeliever, but Paul just had a good favorable relationship with him. Paul goes on, verse 20, to tell Timothy, Trophimus, he says, I've left in Miletus sick. So here's an interesting update. Timothy, Trophimus, who was another worker with Paul and his team at times, Paul says here, we wanted him to travel with us and to keep serving, but I want to let you know, he says, he was restricted by health issues and we had to leave him behind in Miletus because he was sick. The language appears he would have journeyed, but a health problem interfered and didn't let him carry on with Paul and the ministry team. 
And so he had to be left behind. Paul had to resolve to leave him behind because he was too sick to carry onward in the work. And so he wasn't well enough to serve and travel. So Paul sort of had to let the sovereignty of God be what it was and let him remain behind. Now, now let me say something here. Please stay with me. Paul certainly, I'm certain, prayed for his healing. Dr. Luke, the physician, was a part of the missionary team. I'm sure Luke tried to tend to him medically, yet the end result of prayer and medical help was he still was too sick to travel. And Paul says, you know, his health issue restricted him for the time being, and we had to leave him behind. Apparently, again, God's sovereign will was he needed to just rest and recover a little bit. And Paul just resolved that. Now, I think from this we can learn a few things, and that's this particularly. Though Paul certainly in the New Testament we can see was someone who the Lord used at times to bring miraculous healing to people's bodies. At the same time, Paul could not heal just whomever and whenever he wanted to. The Lord used him at times in that ways, but he did not just have the power to just control the healing power that God would work through him to just utilize it like a special power, like a superhero, where he had this gift to just go around and heal whomever and whenever he wanted. That was determined and regulated by God's sovereign will and God's personal decision in each unique case. Look, when you study the book of Acts, there are times you see Paul praying for the sick and those that are diseased and paralyzed. And we have records where God would work powerfully, miraculously through Paul the Apostle as a minister and people with diseases and illnesses and sickness and paralysis and even dead at times would miraculously be healed and be brought back to life. Now that being said, the power of God worked through Paul miraculously at times. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 also tells us that Paul had a health condition and Paul could not heal himself. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I had a thorn in the flesh, a physical ailment or infirmity, and I pleaded with the Lord, heal me three times, please. He pleaded, Lord, take this health issue away. And Jesus' answer was, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power will be perfected in your weakness. And Paul says, so I learned to boast in my infirmities because I found that when I'm weak because of my health issue, that's when I'm really strong and the power of God shows through my life. Now, let me say something. If Paul the Apostle had a capacity as a healer to heal whenever and whomever he wanted, why would you not heal yourself? Because he didn't have the ability to do that whenever he wanted to. We know Timothy as well, who Paul's writing to, had a health condition also. 1 Timothy 5.23, here's Paul's words to Timothy. Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and frequent infirmities. Notice he doesn't say, Timothy, drink wine recreationally. He says, use, use a little wine for your frequent stomach issues. To set, Timothy had digestive issues or something was going on. And Paul was saying, take your medicine, Timothy. Timothy, I know you're praying, but take your medicine too. Use a little wine for your stomach issues. Now, if Paul could heal whomever and whenever he wanted, why would he not heal his protege, his close son in the faith, Timothy, I'm sure he prayed for Timothy, but God didn't heal Timothy. He let the infirmity remain. Here we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Trophimus, another work of ours, we had to leave him in Miletus sick. We prayed for him. God didn't heal him. We had to leave him there sick. Now, I think this is important. 
because we need to realize Paul did not have the capacity to just heal, as I said, with like a power like a superhero, like someone who has a gift of being a healer, whomever and whenever he wanted to. That was sovereignly determined. The healings, the miracles came as God allowed them to come. Please hear this verse or jot in your notes. 1 Corinthians 12, regarding the manifestation of the Spirit of God's ministry, operating supernatural gifts. Listen to what it says. Here's the operation of gifts through Christians. It says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Then verse 11 says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, please take notice of the text, which many don't pay attention to, which is this. The Bible does not say in singular that there is a gift of healing. It also does not say the gift of being a healer. The Bible says the spirit at times manifests periodic words of wisdom a word of knowledge a periodic prophecy and then gifts plural of healings plural and what that is saying is is that the way that happens is that the spirit of God at times as it lines up with the purposes of God and the glory of God will dispatch on occasion through the prayers of Christians on occasion he will disperse gifts of periodic healings to people that healings on occasion will be given out like gifts as God sovereignly chooses to in situations where it aligns with God's will and God's purposes for his glory and his greater picture. Listen, do we all get healed? Yeah, when you go to heaven. You get a new body. But we need to be very careful. I think some of the idea behind healing and what's been presented in that is not really biblical in some ways. And I encourage you to search that out here. Paul says we had to leave him behind sick. It wasn't our preference, but Paul says, I I couldn't heal him. We had to leave him and move on and trust that God, for some reason, had this sickness remaining in his life. Paul says, verse 21, as he concloses now, he says, do your utmost, Timothy, to come to me before winter. So again, notice Paul was led of the Spirit. But what's he doing again? He's planning practically. Timothy, he says, try and get here by the winter season before things freeze up. Now, there are many practical reasons Paul's asking that. He knows his death is close. He knows it's hard to travel. So very practical. Again, notice, it's good to pray, good to seek to be led of the Spirit, but it is not unspiritual to use practical thinking. And what's Paul doing? He's actually planning. Timothy, by winter. Try to get here by winter. That's called a plan last time I checked. Try to get here by winter, by this date. Again, having a plan, ladies and gentlemen, is not unspiritual. It's called stewardship. Pray, evaluate, seek God's guidance, make plans, and just pencil them in. And give God the eraser. Because God may need to erase or alter the plan and, and pray and think and make the best plan you know how and work towards that plan and just stay flexible if God wants to change the plan, if God wants to reroute the plan or delay the plan. And, and nothing wrong with planning. That's stewardship. That's wisdom. Pray, plan, work towards the plan and make the plan in pencil and let God adjust it as he needs to. Paul says, get here by winter, Timothy. I, I'd love to see you by then, he says. He then says, Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, should say Charlie Brown, right? Helps at the end of the Bible study, I know. And all the brethren. Verse 22, the benediction, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. So Paul asked for a wonderful blessing as he closes the letter. He says, Timothy, may the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace be with you. Well, I look at that and I think, what a wonderful way. Many relationships matter. This part of the letter shows that. People, relationships matter. We should appreciate and value them. Yet of all the relationships that anyone can have, there is no relationship that is more important than having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that we experience grace. May his grace be with you. And we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to navigate this difficult world. That's why Paul told Timothy to be strong in grace earlier in this letter. Shall we stand together? Let's pray.